I am so excited to kind of give my own welcome to you as we start this new sermon series today. And uh, if you're joining us online, we're so grateful uh, that you're a part of us as well as those of you who are here in person. And I want to introduce our, the theme for this series this way. Maybe you've seen it in a Western movie or TV show. You got this big ranch house and you got people... Uh, you know, ranch hands out in, with the horses in the corral and you got people in the garden and you got kids playing and everybody's spread out all over everywhere. But, but at a certain time of the day, the, you know, mama or the chef goes out and rings the dinner bell. Have you ever seen that before? And when you hear the clang of the dinner bell, that means wherever you are, whatever you're doing, playing or working, doesn't matter. It's time to stop what you're doing and it's time to come to the table. This uh, season in the life of our church is one of those dinner bell kind of seasons. We know that, uh, you know, COVID has uh, created its own challenges in terms of our ability to gather together. That's why we're so grateful for folks who are joining us online. But, but spiritually speaking, from a standpoint of spiritual unity, we want to come as God's people and come to his table. We want to feast on God's goodness. And uh, we, we want to we wanna, uh, basically consume the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment that our souls crave and feast on God's goodness and experience God's plans for our lives and find the joy that only God can give. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to basically offer a sermon that's going to kind of introduce the whole series to us. And uh, I'd love for you to find Isaiah chapter 55 in your Bibles, one of my favorite passages from the Old Testament. We're going to read Isaiah uh, 55, verses 1 through 7. Uh, one of my um, mentors in ministry, his name was Norman Chans, and uh, he had such a beautiful, rich voice when he read scripture. And some friends of his actually put a CD together of him reading like 10 famous chapters in the Bible, and this was one of them, uh, Isaiah chapter 55. And so as I read uh, these first seven verses, I want you to listen for God's dinner bell. Hear the word of the Lord. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. God bless the reading of his word. How did you feel? It's just like emotionally. How did you feel as I was reading those words? Maybe excited? Maybe a bit confused it's okay to be honest you know what uh, who's calling what's this banquet is it literal or spiritual what does it mean what does David have to do with it I, I get it I, I feel that way often on a Monday morning when I 
open a passage that I'm going to preach on and, and kind of open it up for the first time. I'm, I have a lot of questions in my head. And to be honest with you, I sometimes feel that way on a Tuesday morning, a Wednesday morning, a Thursday morning. But, 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 but one of the things that makes this passage so beautiful, so exciting, and yet so challenging is that it is placed in the backdrop of a 66-chapter prophetic book called Isaiah. And Isaiah is one of the most beautiful and simultaneously one of the most challenging books in the Bible. And so to understand a little more about this context, to kind of put a frame around the passage, if you will, uh, I'm going to give you a very, 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 very condensed version of the theme of Isaiah. Now, there's a lot of debate about the structure of Isaiah, but my theory is that there are two interconnected storylines that are going on in the book and going on in this passage. Uh, and the, the two storylines have to do with what I want to call, these are my words, Old David and New David. Old David and New David. Now, you may be tempted to check out during this next section. And so I, I, I want you to fight that by kind of moving a little forward on your seat and, 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 and just kind of leaning in. Because I want to talk about two themes. I want to talk about the fall of the old David first. Now, who's old David? Well, first of all, David was a man. He was a, a historical person. He was Israel's greatest king before the coming of Jesus Christ. In the history of Israel, the, the reign of, of King David was kind of like Camelot. David was like King Arthur. He was surrounded uh, not by the knights of the round table, but by what scripture calls his mighty men. Uh, he was this imperfect uh, but, but, but strong, powerful poet, warrior. And, uh, and it was just kind of a magical time in Israel's history. And he actually led Israel to become a mini superpower in the Middle East. And so when I refer to old David, I'm referring to David the person, but I'm also referring to what scripture would call the house of David, the descendants of David, the royal line of King David. And that royal line was mostly a sorry lot, to be honest with you. There were, there were a few good kings, but even a good king like King Hezekiah in Isaiah 39, he turns away from Yahweh and he puts more trust in political alliances with uh, then allies like Babylon than, than he does with putting his trust in God. And one of my favorite commentators, a guy named Alec Motir, says that God basically says to Israel, well, you've chosen Babylon over me. And so ultimately, to Babylon you will go. In other words, what Isaiah is prophesying is the coming fall of the house of David, the house of old David, into devastation and exile in Babylon. Now, as we're reading this, we're reading this dark storyline, right? The fall of the old David. But then we're also, in this book of Isaiah, reading about another storyline, a, 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 a beautiful storyline, and it's what I want to call the rise of the new David. Now, that's not the phrase. You, you can search in a concordance. You won't find that phrase, but uh, that's my phrase. But uh, the, the, who's the new David? Well, sometimes he's called the suffering servant. There are these songs of the servant in Isaiah, the servant is led like a, a sheep to the slaughter. And yet, Isaiah says, by his stripes, by his wounds, we're healed. Sometimes he's depicted as this new king, this coming Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, the, the wonderful counselor who is also somehow the mighty God and who acts with us as an everlasting father and who is truly the prince of peace. 
And the kingdom of the new David will, will extend far beyond Israel, far beyond the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River Valley and Dan in the north and Beersheba in the south. The king of the, of the new David will extend to the ends of the earth. And get this, ultimately the government will be upon the shoulders of the new David. And the kingdom of the new David will have no end. And so there's a sense when you read the book of Isaiah, you are reading about two contrasting storylines that somehow connect. You've got one that's kind of uh, down and to the right, and that's the fall of old David. And then you have one that's, that's up and to the right, and that's the rise of the new David. Okay, there it is. That's the introduction. Thank you so much for paying attention. You can sit back now a little bit. Uh, uh, but don't check out for this next part, because what I want to do is I want to give what I think is a, a one-sentence summary of the passage that I read to you. The passage that I just read to you from Isaiah 55 is the new David, Jesus Christ, saying to the old David, come to the feast. Come to the feast. Now, you and I live thousands of years away from the time when Isaiah first preached these words. Our historical situation is very different from uh, people who would soon be in Babylon in, in captivity. But I wonder, you know, historically, we're, we're different, Okay. But I wonder if spiritually speaking, there's a, common, there's a commonality between our souls and the souls of old David. You see, at its worst, old David put its hope in earthly solutions to spiritual problems. Let me say that again. Old David put its main trust in earthly solutions to what are spiritual problems. In other words, they were saying, if we could just get the right earthly king, if we could just find a new king that was like old David, we could, we could turn back the clock. We could go back to the glory days of our national history. And, and I think that, that, that you and I suffer with this temptation to spend our earthly lives seeking earthly solutions to our spiritual problems. And so we say to ourselves, well, we, if we can just pick the right place to live, if our kids can just go to the right schools, if we can just find the right church and then the next right church and then the next right church, right? if we can support the right candidate and our, our candidate wins, if we could pick the right job, if we could follow the right career path, if we could pick the right spouse, if we can raise the right kids, then all of these right decisions on our part will bring about an earthly Camelot for us. Friends, I don't want to be misunderstood. There's a lot of wisdom to be applied when it comes to work and family and citizenship and church. A lot of wisdom. But if we do those things as if we, through our efforts, can bring about the reign of God, can bring about God's joy in our lives, we will miss out on the feast that God offers. And the clear message of Isaiah 55, the clear theme of the Bible is come to the feast. And so in the rest of our time together, I wanna to tell you three things about this feast that I think are, are each one is important. And we have to lean into each one. The first thing I wanna tell you about the feast is based on verse one of Isaiah chapter 55. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The first thing you need to know about this feast is that it is a free feast. Free to you, that is. 
a free feast. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. I grew up with a, a secular proverb. I learned it from my parents. Maybe you've heard it too. And that is, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Anybody ever heard that secular proverb before? And anybody like me ever said that secular proverb before? Yeah, yeah. No such thing as a free lunch. And in, in, in so many cases, that proverb is, is true from an earthly perspective. And so the brochure says you can spend a, a free night at a beautiful mountain resort. But that free night is going to cost you four hours of a high-pressure timeshare presentation, isn't it? It was free, but was it really? And yet, Isaiah 55 invites us to a free meal. A free meal. Maybe you're saying, okay, free meal for who? Is it only for those really spiritual people, the kind of people I'll never be? Is that what it is? Is it a kind of a, a spiritual VIP kind of feast? Is it for missionaries and Billy Graham types and whoever it was that wrote Footprints in the Sand and, and uh, Charles Sheldon whose novel popularized WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? Is it just for a very small select group of people that you and I will never, never make our way to that table? No. The, the, the only prerequisites to come to God's table is just being thirsty and hungry and broke. That's it. That's it. If you can't afford it, God says, come on. If you're hungry for it, if you're thirsty for it, God says, come. Congratulations, God says. You're the winner. That's the consistent message of the Bible. Jesus blesses those who are poor in spirit. He blesses those who hunger and thirst for the righteous presence of God. Are you thirsty? Are you broke? Come on in, God says. Now, what's on the menu? That's what we always want to know, right, when we're invited to a meal. What's on the menu? And if you have a scripture sheet in front of you, you might want to circle some of these things in verses 1 and 2. One of the first things that's on the menu is water, which... Uh, if you're a pampered person like me, it might not sound all that excited uh, for, for water to be on the menu uh, if, we're, if you're fully hydrated and if, if water is readily uh, available. But physically speaking, water is one of our deepest needs, isn't it? I mean, I believe we can live for, for weeks without food, but, but, but really only days without water. And spiritually speaking, water is God's refreshment for our souls Jesus in John 7 says to, to any of you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. He promises the woman at the well in John chapter 4 that this is a different kind of water that he gives. It is not well water that she was looking for. It is living water. It is water that brings eternal life. So water, living water is on the menu. Isaiah also speaks of something else on the menu. Find, find that word milk and circle it. Milk is nutritious. We'll, we'll study this in a few weeks. First Peter 2 says that Christians are to be like newborn babies that long for the pure spiritual milk that God provides. You see such growth, don't you, in the first few months and year in the life of an infant. And it's because of that milk that, that brings about growth. Milk is on the menu. And then the Bible speaks of wine. Do you see that circle wine? And in the Bible, wine is never a neutral metaphor. It either stands for something really good or it stands for something really bad. And so sometimes, especially in the Proverbs, wine uh, is a stand-in for drunkenness. Uh, and wine is a stand-in for God's judgment on sin. 
But there are other times in the Bible where wine is a symbol of redemption and wine is a symbol of joy. Jesus turns the water into wine at a wedding in Cana and he promises new wine and the need for new wineskins to hold it, the, the new wine of his joy. So we circle water, we circle milk, we circle wine. And then in verse two, we circle uh, bread and also rich food on God's banquet table. And of course, whenever we take communion, right, we, we focus on Jesus Christ, the bread of life. My mentor uh, in ministry, whenever he would lead the Lord's Supper, uh, he would, he would uh, you know, hold up the bread and, and kind of uh, paraphrasing from the Gospel of John, he would say, whoever eats this bread in faith lives forever. I love that. The bread of life. Um, the Jesus Christ who sustains us for the journey. In other words, God's desire for you and me is to come to a loaded banquet table and it's decked out with everything that you and I need for our survival and for our spiritual nourishment and for our deepest pleasure and joy. So who are the participants? The hungry, the thirsty, the broke. What what are the products? You name it. Sparkling water, whole milk, vintage wine, bread, the richest of food. What's the price? Free. It is free. One commentator says that that God enlists Isaiah to be like this town crier that walks through the street saying, free food, come to the banquet. It's it's free, a banquet for everyone. That's the first thing I want you to know about this feast that we're invited to as a church is that it is free. The second thing I want you to know about it is that it is unexpected. Unexpected, now what do I mean by that? Well, if it's not already unexpected enough to get a a free banquet, right? No such thing as a free lunch, and yet here's a free banquet. There's some other unexpected things about this feast. And the first unexpected thing has to do with old David. Remember how I said earlier that as you read Isaiah, the house of David is just on this downward trajectory? We, we go from this really successful king, King David, to a wise but distracted king, King Solomon, and then we go to his son, Rehoboam, who was foolish and proud and split the kingdom in two, and then we go all the way down to, to basically uh, uh, deportation into Babylon. It's not a beautiful trajectory, isn't it? But God has not forgotten about old David. And when the new David, Jesus Christ, comes, he's going to make good on all those old promises to David. And I think that's beautiful news for us. Why? Because sometimes we end up on downward trajectories too, don't we? I mean, we have things in our life and maybe it's the, the consequences of our own sinful choices or, or maybe it's, it's, it's the consequences of somebody else's sinful choices. You know, there were toddlers who were making their way to Babylon, right? It wasn't their sin. It wasn't their idolatry. And yet somebody else's sinful choices and they got swept up into it. Sometimes it's inexplicable suffering. But so often, don't you think suffering and shame go together? I mean, how many of us woke up on September 12, 2001, and there was this kind of shame, this, this sense of how could this happen to us? No, no show of hands, but I wonder how many of us has ever kind of had shame like a badge that you just can't, you can't peel off. It's, it's with you everywhere. You try to hide it, but it's there. Old David felt that shame 
So how amazing, how unexpected that, that new David, Jesus, is coming to old David and he's saying, no, no shame, you're my child. You're the father's child. Come to the table. In fact, uh, look at verse 3. Verse 3, uh, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to old David. I haven't forgotten about Old David, this new David will be born in Israel and he will bring God's good news of a new covenant to, and, and he'll bring it first to the Israelites. He'll bring it first to old David, Peter, Andrew, Mary, Joseph, John, Mary Magdalene. I mean, these were Jews and they were the first to hear. They, they'd been under a series, their people had been under a series of, of, of foreign occupation and yet they get the good news that God has not forgotten his everlasting covenant. But that's not the only unexpected thing. Now, now, at this time, you know, Israel's stock is going to be so low, nationally speaking. But what is, what is the promise? The promise is that you're going to get to summon nations. That's what, that's what God was saying to, to Peter uh, and to James and to John, these members of, of kind of old David. He was saying, surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you why? Not because of you, but because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Now this specific promise was fulfilled when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born in Bethlehem. When Israel was held captive by the Roman Empire. But guess what? This promise also comes true for you and me. There's nothing special about you or me intrinsically, right? But you and I, not because of us, but because of the Lord our God, get to summon nations. We get to summon people. We get to call out to, to different cultural and ethnic groups, different generations all over our community. And we get to say, guess what? You're invited to a feast. Isn't that unexpected? Isn't that beautiful that we get to welcome the nations? I mean, it, it, it bears saying we're not a club, right? Clubs are clubby. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, clubs tend to welcome only certain kinds of people. You have to be a certain kind of people, to, person to be welcomed here. We're not a club. We're not a, we're not a clique. We're, we're a covenant people. We're redeemed by Jesus. We're invited to the feast, and Jesus has given us invitations to pass out to others. We get to ring a dinner bell throughout our whole community. We get to ring the dinner bell and say, dinner is ready, Valley Ranch. Dinner is ready, Coppell. Dinner is ready, Las Colinas. Dinner is ready, Carrollton. Dinner is ready, Farmer's Branch. Dinner is ready, Grapevine. Dinner is ready, Louisville. Dinner is ready, Flower Mound. Dinner is ready, Irving. We get to say, come to the feast. What an unexpected privilege is ours. Now, if you have had the misfortune of being a veteran of many of my sermons, you know that a lot of my sermons follow a similar trajectory. It's kind of bad news, sometimes bad news, bad news, and then good news. Uh, and I prefer that order, to be honest with you. Uh, I'd much rather have broccoli than cheesecake, than cheesecake, than broccoli. I like to get the bad news out of the way. But this sermon is not following that order, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I definitely started with good news. You, you heard that, right? It's free. God's grace is free. A free banquet of spiritual nutrition all the hope and forgiveness and newness and healing and peace that you could ever want to eat. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. And then I pivoted to some more good news. In God's economy, the most unlikely people, people like me, get to pass out free passes. Broken Down Israel does. 
and so do we. Sometimes the world scorns the church and sometimes for good reason. Sometimes we deserve the criticism we get. But still, unexpectedly, there's a a splendor about us, not because of us, but because of the good news we get to summon because of grace. That's good news and then good news. And in this third point, I'm gonna pivot, not to bad news, not bad news, but, but maybe you could call it urgent news. And that is this free and unexpected feast is also an optional feast. It's optional, it's not mandatory. It can be refused. In other words, we can miss out on a free feast. We can spend our time shopping at the wrong places, so to speak. We can spend our time eating the worst stuff for us. We can distract ourselves with with tragically substandard meals. And we could miss out on everything that God has for us. And instead of a free banquet, we can exhaust our resources looking for a kind of what Eugene Peterson calls a a cotton candy that actually makes us sick and leaves us truly hungry. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. You you attached your meaning to some job or maybe to some big event or or maybe to some big purchase. And, And all the while as you were working and laboring and spending all your time and effort and money on this big thing, you were thinking about all the joy and fulfillment it would bring you. And then the event came and guess what? The event went. That thing that you bought was not nearly as cool as you thought it would be and it broke. (laughs) The job, well, it brought headaches you didn't anticipate. And you spent all this time and all this money and all this focus and all this emotion and all this energy and all this thought on something that leaves you hungry, leaves you thirsty. Maybe that's why, did you hear it? There's so much urgency in Isaiah's voice. Verse two, he says, why spend money on what's not bread? Why spend your labor on what will not ultimately satisfy you? Israel did that with its idols. It spent so much time and resources trying to make false gods happy, and it didn't work. And we can do the same thing. We can look back over a season, a year, a decade, and it's like we worked our fingers to the bone trying to make an unhealthy relationship work. We worked our fingers to the bone trying to prove our worth. We gave our heart and soul to a job, and the job didn't give us joy back it left us with ashes do you hear the urgency verse two listen listen to me verse three give ear and come to me listen that you may live do you hear the urgency in verse six it says seek the lord while he may be found call on him while he is near there's a window of opportunity for us but there's a window of opportunity that we can miss. And if we're looking the wrong way, if we're, if we're exploring the wrong solutions, when God is drawn near, this message is not only you know, beautiful and surprising, it's also urgent. We can miss it. <laughs> Maybe that's why verse seven urges us to turn. Whenever you see that word uh, in the Old Testament, it's always a word for repentance. It's always a word for turning our back on the false idols and goals of our life and repenting and turning toward God. And when we do, verse seven says, we find mercy and free pardon and forgiveness. The message of the Bible is come to the feast. Experience the grace and love that only God can give you. 
Some of you may know I'm a lover of fiction, uh, English major in college. I read a lot of short stories, kind of half an hour, you can read the whole thing. And, and one of my favorite authors was an Irish writer, his name is William Trevor. And he once wrote a story about a, a piano teacher. The piano teacher was in her 50s. She'd been giving uh, piano lessons for years. And for years, uh, she had had to suffer through all these kids banging out horrible sounds uh, on the piano in her parlor. But then one day, this prep school teenage boy shows up in his prep school navy blazer, and he sits down to play, and he is just amazing. I mean, she can honestly look back on her whole career as a piano teacher, and she has never had a student with this boy's musical genius. She thinks to herself, in this boy, there are symphonies unwritten. She is thrilled beyond measure to have him as her student. There's only one little problem with the young man. Every time the boy leaves her house, he secretly pockets one of the treasures that she's been collecting throughout the year. One time it's a a porcelain swan. Another time he lifts an earring. Another time he steals a scarf. One time he steals a paperweight. One time uh, after a lesson he steals a couple of toy soldiers and she said the boy was a good thief. She said she didn't know how he did it. She never saw him do it. Now, Here's where the story takes an interesting turn. You would think the piano teacher would be furious at the young man. But unfortunately, over the course of her life, she had actually gotten used to being taken advantage of. She had a father who kind of monopolized her when she was young and single and distracted her with the work that he was doing from getting married. And then there was this married man that she later had an affair with and he was going to leave his wife and, and then he didn't. And so the piano teacher has kind of made her peace with the fact that life is all about trade-offs. If you want pleasant things like a young man who can play like Chopin, then you have to get used to valuable things being silently stolen right out from under you. Now that short story made me so sad, but it also made me think because so many of us live with that mindset. No free lunch, win some, lose some. Love is conditional, pretends to be for you, but when you're not looking, it robs you blind. We can begin to feel like old David cheated and ashamed. And then the new David comes along and says, I beg to differ. The new David comes along and says, come to the feast. It is free. I don't care if you're broke. Now is the time. Stop what you're doing. Listen for my voice and come because I have so much I want to give you. I don't want to steal anything from you. I want to give you the best things. Is that not what Paul says in Romans chapter 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? What has God given us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Look at this part. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Friends, let's come to the feast. Let's turn our backs on those things that do not satisfy. And let's come to the feast. Let's sit at the Father's table 
If you've never accepted Christ's grace, come to the table for the first time. If you're a Christian but you've been distracted, come back to the table. There's living water there. There's bread of life there. There's the wine of redemption there. There's the pure milk of Christ's truth there. And one more thing, one more thing. Help us ring the dinner bell and invite others to come to the feast. Let's pray. Lord, what a promise. What a promise in Isaiah 55. What a promise in Romans 8. What a promise in the Gospels, Lord. That as we can sadly spend our lives on things that do not satisfy, you have financed a feast for us, a daily feast. And it's filled with all the best things, Lord. Your living water, your bread of life, your milk of truth, your cup of redemption, the meat of your word, Lord, it is all there. And and we are unexpectedly invited and given invitations. So Lord, in our hearts right now, help us to confess the ways in which we've been distracted, Lord. Help us to confess to you the false saviors that we have put all of our hope and energy into. And help us in a spirit of repentance, come back, come back, come back to the feast. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.